So this morning, I want to warn you, I, I have two sermons I'm giving. I'm, I'm, yeah, there it is. Yes, some feigned excitement. I appreciate that. Um, no, two sermons. Uh, I think that there is, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts, um, but today I think we need to take a minute and pray for the Middle East and for Israel. Um, I think it's something that's all on our mind right now. We, uh, we've all been feeling a little bit of that background noise of what's going on in the world. How do I pray? What do I do? Um, my friend and I, we were talking a little bit, and he was saying how he was feeling in this time. He's just like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, and I feel like I'm messing up, and I feel like I'm not listening to the Lord. And he's like, I just feel like I'm a mess. I can't, like, shake this weird feeling that I'm going through. The more we dug into it, the more he realized I actually think the news about what happened in Israel really affected me. And it's so funny. A lot of times we could be so dense. You're like, what's wrong with me? And then you realize, oh, I'm sad or I'm grieving or I'm stressed or I'm a little freaked out. And um, what we saw in the Middle East was really jarring, I think, for Americans. Uh, in the West here, we have a philosophy that tells us that everyone is generally good and that evil only exists in dictators and serial killers, right? Like, we're going, oh, there's not evil out there. I mean, maybe one or two people, you know. Um, but when the situation happened in Israel and Hamas came into Israel and the images we all started seeing, even those of us who pride ourselves and, like, we don't pay attention to the news, it's too stressful, I'm trying to create a barrier of comfort in my life a little bit, and if that, that's okay, that came out a little bit more condescending than I meant it, meant it to. It, it's, it's good, you know, you don't let everything in. But even for those of us that are really good at self-control with that, that story came crashing into our feed, that story came crashing into our life, and we saw images that were really, really jarring for us. And what we saw last week crashed that philosophy of everyone's generally good, and it crashed it in a very graphic and visceral way. We became deeply grieved and disturbed, and rightfully so. When evil rears its head, not in one or two people, but in groups of thousands, and explodes in unfathomable and heartbreaking violence against families and children, we are left in a fog of shock, sadness, and a fear creeps in that the violence that we're seeing is the beginning stages of a fire that's about to burn out of control. If you're feeling that right now, if that's like a background noise in your life, know that you're in good company. I think to some extent we're all feeling that a bit. And honestly, I think it's completely reasonable and normal for us to feel like that. Uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict is something that is as old as Sarah and Hagar. You could go back to Genesis chapter 16, and you could see where that sort of familial break starts to, to happen. Uh, so it's old, and it's deeply rooted in the society there. And I think the mistake we make is that we look at it, we go, the problem is political. There's a political problem in the Middle East, and that is our secular sort of humanist sort of eyes that we're seeing it through. But really, what's going on in the Middle East is primarily religious and profoundly woven into the history of that religion or of that region. Jerusalem has been the center of the religious tension for a long time, and biblical prophecy tells us that it will be the center of tension until Jesus comes back. This is, this is what's going on in the Middle East. And I think a lot of us, we don't know what to do, so we're like posting on social media or reposting stuff, and honestly, I think we're making more of a mess than we are solving anything. I think a lot of us are trying to jump in and say, hey, maybe my two sentences on, on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever it is will solve this, and we all know that it won't, you know. And so it's hard. We're trying to figure out what do we do. But as followers of Jesus, we have a really great leader, and his name is Jesus, 
And when he has talked about certain things, we should look at what he talked about. And he did talk about Jerusalem. He did talk about the Jewish people. And he says this in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So I think a lot of times we go, let's, let's go to the words of Jesus for comfort. Occasionally, that's not what we get. Occasionally, Jesus is um, pretty jarring to listen to. But he said this. He's like, he's got this fatherly love. He's like, there's so many times I wish I could have gathered you together, put my wings of protection over you. I wish I could have done that. But you kept leaving this covenant that I had made with you. You kept walking away from it and leaving the protection of my wings. Has Israel been God's chosen people and are they blessed to be a blessing throughout history? Yes, absolutely. You cannot read this Bible and not walk away with the understanding that God has a covenant with Israel that's special. Has Israel broken that covenant? So many times, right? So many times. Like the the bulk of, like I'll just point it out, like this section visually right here is pretty much all about the leaders of Israel did something evil in the sight of the Lord and this happened. Like there is time and time again, the people of God break the covenant of God. But the good news is throughout the Bible, God has always been faithful to covenants with people who are unfaithful to those covenants, right? God is faithful even when we're not faithful. As we look at what's going on in the Middle East, we got to know there's 2% Christian on both sides. So there are the meek that will inherit the earth that are shuffled in there. There are innocent people shuffled in there. There are kingdom-minded people that are shuffled in there. We're called in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we need to do that. And we're going to do that in just a minute. But we also need to understand that what we see in the Middle East cannot be solved with politics. It can't be. Right now, we idolize politics. We think maybe a good treaty signed is going to solve this, and it won't. Only Jesus can solve it. Only Jesus can solve it. And we have to know that Jesus is Lord. He is king. There is nobody that is exalted over him. And we need to pray that his church will rise up and be strong in the Middle East. Let's all stand up. Let's pray. Jesus, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem right now, Lord. We pray that you would calm the tensions. We pray that you would stay the hand of the enemy that wants to cause violence and death and destruction and terror. We pray that your church would be strong right now. Lord, that 2% that's there, Lord, I pray that they would be a powerful 2%. That in the wake of this, it would grow to 3% and 4%, 5%. Lord, that your kingdom would grow. Lord, remind us that you are king, God. Some of us in this room maybe are too worried or too concerned. And so right now, we take the burden off of our shoulders. We confess that there is nothing we can do in the natural to change this. But Lord, drive us to our knees. Remind us to pray. We know that what happens in Jerusalem is incredibly important, and we feel the weight of that. So, Lord, help us to be a people that pray, 
I pray unified. And Jesus, remind us that you are king. You oversee everything, and Lord, give us comfort in that. That one day you're gonna set everything right. Make us hungry for your return, Lord. We do pray for your return, that you would set everything right and put us under the headship of you, the rightful king, Jesus. We long for that. We know all creation longs for it. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys can have a seat. Sermon number one, check. Done. Okay, sermon number two. Uh, sermon number two is, I think, very much in line, and I didn't really see it until I started talking about it this, this morning. Um, pray for me, because I'm trying to hit my time, uh, and I, I thought I did. I was like, Destiny, I hit my time. She's like, well, we gave you more time, and then you didn't hit that, and so no, you didn't actually hit your time. So I'm going to really try hard today. Um, but the main point is this. When you're looking at the Middle East, when we're looking at everything that's going on, we're talking about spiritual gifts, and this is so pertinent because of this. What the world needs is a strong church. You might think they need a strong showing of America or a strong political X, Y, and Z. That's not what we need. We need a strong church right now. And a strong church needs strong believers. The church is built on not just a few gifted people, but on many, many people who bring their gifts to the table, and we all make room for each other, We all see each other's giftings. We see the diversity of the giftings of God. We make space for it. And we see a healthy church and a stronger church emerge. This is what we need. But we need the urgency right now. Like there's an urgency for us to get healthy. There's an urgency for us to be unified. There's an urgency for us to be strong right now that we really need to be paying attention to. Uh, someone in this, uh, in this room actually gave me a book. Uh, actually, he's not in this room. Where, where's Matt at? Okay. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. Oh, he's in the foyer. Uh, I'll just call him out, make him feel awkward. You could tell him later that I did that. So Matt came up to me. He's like, hey, you're a nerd, right? I said, of course I am. And uh, he said, you want to read this book? And he handed me this book called Strange Glory. Uh, it's a book about Bonhoeffer. It's obscene, obscenely long, um, but it's very interesting. And in this book, uh, Bonhoeffer, he is a Christian leader in the 1930s during the rise of Nazi Germany, and he's the voice crying out in the wilderness. He's the prophetic voice going, you guys, we got to be careful here. Like, we can't just integrate church and state here. We can't bring swastikas into our theology schools. Like, this is not okay. And people around him were like, take it easy, you know, like, geez, Diedrich, you know, calm down. At some point, he gets so frustrated, he's like, I can't stay in academia anymore. I need to get out. He goes out into the sticks, and he brings like two dozen people with him. They start a very small uh, school that's going through a radical uh, theology of turning your life to Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, being a fire for Jesus in the place that you're at. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer often would give sermons that people would go, "Ah, ouch, that hurts, you know? And one day there was a guy that was visiting him and he was from academia. He'd known him for a while and he showed up, listened to Diedrich Bonhoeffer preach and afterward he kind of pulled him aside and said, hey, hey, like, I get it. I get it. We should follow Jesus in a radical way. I get it, you know, all that stuff. But I feel like you've gone a little too far, you know. He's like, this is not the proper attitude for a genteel sort of gentleman here in Germany. You need to tone it back a little bit. And he had said to him, like, what about the cinema? He's like, what if, what if the cinema? Couldn't, couldn't we enjoy life a little bit, you know? 
And uh, I think today we'd be like, what about Netflix? What about, you know, just a little bit of relaxing time? And, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was like, okay. He said, didn't say anything in response. He said, I want you to meet me tomorrow morning at the river and we're going to go on a little rowing trip. And the guy said, okay, you know. So they meet up and uh, they go rowing down this river and Dietrich Bonhoeffer pulls off on this place that he had, uh, had specially set aside. He knew they were going to be pulling off in there and they pulled off and they climb up this hill and as they get to the top of the hill, they look down and it's the Nazis training, military training, uh, for what is to become World War II. It hasn't started yet. And you, he said you'd look down and you'd see planes landing and he said there were so many troops, they looked like ants, but they were all moving in perfect formation. And he said, turned to the guy and he said, you know, the kingdom of darkness is organized and passionate and they are pushing really hard. We in the kingdom of light need to push even harder. He was like, in the face of this, we need to push really hard. And I think that's the word for us today. Like, we need to have that urgency and that understanding of God created each one of you in this room uniquely to serve him and to serve the ones around you and to bring the power of what he's gifted you so that we could all work together as one in the body of Christ to see his will on earth as it is in heaven. This is our great calling. And if you're a Christian and you have forgotten that, I want to remind you, you are created on purpose and for a purpose. And this is incredibly interesting as we look into this. And I was pouring over this. I was going, okay, I wonder if there's anything else, any other philosophy or any other religion that teaches about spiritual gifts. And guess what? There are no other religions or philosophies that teach about spiritual gifts the way that Jesus and Paul teach about spiritual gifts. This is very unique. A lot of religions are like, man, if you work hard enough, maybe if you're zealous enough, maybe you'll get into that inner circle. Maybe you'll make it into heaven. You know, if you're a Zen Buddhist, you're hoping like, maybe I could spiritually disappear into the ether if I pray enough, if I empty my mind enough. But Christianity stands alone in saying there's not this hierarchy of more important people and less important people. We are all part of the language he uses is the body of Christ, like a physical body. And we need each other, just like the eye needs the hand, just like the ear needs the foot, you know, whatever it is. Like we need each other. Every part of the body is needed. And I want to remind you this morning that you are really needed in the kingdom of God. You are really needed to be strong, to understand your spiritual gifts, and to use them for the kingdom. For far too long, I think, for for decades, actually, we have built the church on just a few gregarious people. Maybe if they're really good at speaking on stage, hence what I'm doing right now. Maybe if they're like this or that, you know, like, then they're the most important ones. And I don't have anything against that. I wouldn't be doing this right now if if I did have something against it. Be strange. But um, I think what we've inadvertently done is said, you're not important unless you're on a stage, and that's just not true. It's just not true. And we need to shift. We need a course correction in the church to come back to understanding our spiritual gifts. Because God says that we are gifted. If you've got your Bibles, it's, let's go. We're going to dive in. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Still doing okay on time. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'll be reading in the ESV version. I, I, love, I, love, I love this chapter. It's so good. 
He talks right in the beginning. He's like, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. So Paul is trying to give some real teaching on spiritual gifts. And as a side note, I will say there are some people out there um, that don't believe that the spiritual gifts exist anymore. There is a train of thought that's out there, and I'll just tell you, we do not subscribe to this train of thought. Um, but there's a train of thought that tells you that the spiritual gifts were only for the apostles and not for us in this time. I think, I think to believe that, you have to throw out a lot of scripture. Like, you have to take a lot of chunks. Like, what we're going to read today, like, why would we have this in the Bible if we're not use, supposed to use it? I was listening to, I, I pride myself, actually, in listening to various you know, preachers and go, oh, you know, there's some good things about them. Like, I really, like, I pride myself in going, I could be real gracious to a lot of people and go, oh, well, they've got an interesting take on that. That's interesting. But I was, this week, I was listening to a sermon from a guy uh, that we would all know, and he was talking about how there are no spiritual gifts for right now. And I found myself doing something really constructive. Um, I started yelling at, in my car at him, which I, I, I should have reminded myself, he, he can't hear you when you do that, Ryan. Um, but, I, but I was really like, I was really grieved because I was going, man, we're missing out on such good stuff if we believe that the gifts are dead. They're not dead, they're alive and well, and we're gonna talk about them today. First Corinthians 12, sorry, I had to get it on my soapbox just for a second. First uh, Corinthians 12, starting in verse four, it says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Jump down to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As I was reading that section this week, I was like, there's just something in it. I thought, there's something deep here. Like, I just, I found myself reading, especially verse four, four through six, I was going, there's something there. And for those of us on the teaching team, there is one man that we reach out to when we're like, we need some biblical thought on this. Uh, Daniel Riccio, he's on our elder team. We've mentioned him up here so many times. But Daniel, I don't know if he's in the room right now, but he is a brilliant guy. He just finished his, his master's in theology from Fuller. He just has this photographic memory. He just understands scripture so well. And I sent him these verse and I, verses and I said, Daniel, what do you think of these? What do you see in these? I feel like they're rich with meaning, but I feel like I'm only plumbing the depths of like 10% of it. He said, okay. And then he sent a, a text back and he said, you know, it's really interesting he said, there is this sort of um, rhythm that's happening. You know, it's like the varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. The varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God. He's like, we're different, but we're the same. We're different, but we're the same. We're different, but we're the same. He's like, that's really interesting. And I thought, very interesting. Then the little bubbles popped up. He's texting me again. And uh, another text comes in. He goes, you know what else is interesting? He said, and each one of those, as he's talking about God, he uses a different name for God. He's like, you know, varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, like the Holy Spirit. Different varieties of service, but the same Lord, which two verses before he said, you can't call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. So he's hearkening to Jesus. And varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So he's like, there's this Trinitarian language that Paul is using. And I was like, frantically right. I'm like, yes. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, that's really good. The more we dove into it, the more you also see that there is different words for these gifts in each one of these steps. Uh, the first is this word gifts. It's gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the word is charisma. 
It's probably pronounced differently in the Greek, but I'm American. I'll just lean into it. Charisma. Uh, And really, it comes from this root word charis, which if you want to nerd out on the word charis, go talk to Alex Seekins. He would love to talk to you about charis. But charis is really like, it's used in all sorts of different ways, but it means grace, it means a gift, which it's used as gift in, this, in most translations here. It's called favor. Another, another phrase is like favor of the Lord. So there is this charisma, this gift that's been given to us, this filter or this deep motivation in our heart that has been given by the Holy Spirit. Next is services. So we've been given services. Uh, the root word is uh, diakonia in the Greek. And it just means servant or service. But it's the extended version of that word in this translation, which really means like works of service. Or in a lot of translations uh, will say ministrations, like these ministrations of the Spirit. And it's been given by Jesus, these, uh, these different uh, religious offices or works to do. Next is activities by God the Father. Uh, the word is energema. I love this word. It's like energy, the energy of what been, what's been given to us is this energy of the Lord. And energema is used in two verses from now to talk about the gifts of the miraculous. So these workings of the miraculous that's given as a gift to some people, it's the energema, the, the religious, this is going to sound really weird, but it's like the miraculous energy that's been given to somebody. I'm not getting new age. I'm just giving us some different ways to look at it. But it's these gifts that God's given, and there are these different gifts. And today we're going to talk about those three different gifts, and we're going to plow through a lot of Scripture. Are you guys ready? Okay. If you take notes, start taking notes, because we've got a lot to talk about. First is the manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read those. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of knowledge, or the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, or what we'd call words of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, that's that energema coming in again, the working of miracles to another, prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, what we would call discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The manifestation gifts are miraculous and Jesus-exalting gifts. They don't bring glory to you. They bring glory to Jesus. Jesus-exalting gifts that can be given to any believer. We can receive any one of these in any moment that we're, we're around other people. Um, can be given to any believer by the Holy Spirit in the time that they need it. These gifts require discernment, faith, and risk to exercise. Um, I was just in, uh, in um, South America, and we were in, why am I drawing a blank on the country's name? Ecuador. What is wrong with me this morning? I was in Ecuador. I promise I really was there. I'm not lying. Um, I was just in Ecuador, and I was doing ministry with Mario, and if, I mean, if you haven't seen Mario and guests by now, he is full of energema, like he has a ton of energy, Uh, and he asked me one day, he's like, hey, can you pray for people? I said, yeah, no problem, and the next thing I knew, I literally had 80 people lined in front of me, (laughs) and I was going, oh, Lord, and like three and a half hours later, I was done praying for people, Um, but one of them, uh, this this older man is bringing his son, who's like a teenager, 
And he came up to me and he said, hey, can you pray for my son? Uh, he's got something wrong with his eye and he's lost vision. And in my flesh, I was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to do that? And he's like, yes. I was like, okay, all right, Lord, you know, here we go. Laid hands on him and I said, you know, pray for healing, you know, in the name of Jesus. Took authority, did all the, all the things, checked all the boxes. Then I looked at him and I said, is it, is it any better? And he said, and, you know, when you get to that point, you're like wilting. I'm like, okay, all right, next, you know. But he just stood there like expectant. And I was going, all right, well, do you want me to pray for you again? He said, yeah. So I did all the same stuff, you know, prayed, prayed for healing in the name of Jesus, all of that, you know. And, and then we were done. And I said, any better, you know. And he said, nope, no better. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Lord, let me just, like, fade away. Like, I felt so, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to be standing here anymore. I feel like this is so embarrassing. I feel like it's so, like, somehow I'm letting him down, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And his dad just kind of looked at me, and they stayed there. They didn't step out of line and make space for the next one. They just stayed there. And I was like, do you want me to pray again? And the dad said, yes. So prayed again did all the things, and this time he opened his eyes and he looked at me, and his son just tears started coming down, and he smiled huge, and he was like, it's better. I said, like all better? He said, it's all better. And like I asked him like three times, like, are you sure? It's like, it's like all better. It's like you'd see just fine now? And he's like, I could see totally fine now. And uh, I said, do you want me to pray again? And he said, no. He looked at me like, why would you pray again? It's done. And... Um, and there's those moments, and I get it, for a lot of people, healing is something to celebrate and something that's painful, and I get it. Uh, there are many people I prayed for that didn't get healing, including myself. Uh, there are many people that I know that you pray for healing, and you go, but it didn't happen. Now, we have two choices. One, we could just kind of get bitter and throw it out, or we could really just say, Lord, keep cultivating that heart of a child that Jesus said, like, you need to come to me like a child, that heart of a child that goes, I just believe that you can heal, and I'm gonna pray for healing, but I'm also gonna just trust you with the results. This is something that we're called to do. If we never exercise it, if we never take risk, we don't have stories. I could have just said, hey, I don't really do that, you know? Maybe go talk to Kurt or something, and then Kurt would have had a great story. But, but I just said, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna believe and step forward. These are manifestations of the Spirit. Sometimes they're wild, sometimes they're uncontrollable, but they exist. And they're not to exalt you and make you feel like super spiritual. There's no spiritual pride in it. It exalts Jesus. This kid wasn't like, wow, Ryan's prayer was great. His, this kid was like, wow, Jesus touched me and I'm healed. This is amazing. That's what we need to do. So those are the manifestation gifts, wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, not just like you kind of believe, but that person in the room that's like, I believe Jesus could do something new right now. And it's like, okay, I need that. You know, we need those people. Uh, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy. It's incredibly important. Read 1 Corinthians 14 if you want a deeper dive into prophecy. Spiritual discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are all still active and available for every believer. Next, Romans 12. I'll also try to breathe up here too. I know you guys are like, Ryan, breathe. Romans 12. Starting in verse three, it says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Humility is key. But to think with sober judgment, 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ, we're different, different, differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who exhorts in his teaching, the one who, oh, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Classically, we would call these the motivational gifts. The motiva- motivational gifts are the things that fuel us in our, on our life with Christ. They are the consistent filter and personal compulsion you consistently are drawn to. You can operate in a few of these. Uh, if you are a person who operates in mercy, you can't help but go, gosh, I just look at the people around me and I feel their feelings and I feel sad for them. My daughter is one of the May is very, like she feels all the feelings of all the things, especially animals. May loves animals. She's like, oh, the doggy looks so sad, you know. She has that mercy heart that comes through. Leading, this is something I often find myself in a place. I'm, I, what I always call myself the reluctant leader. A lot of times I'll sit in a room and I'll look around and go, anybody want to lead? No? All right, I'll do it, I guess, you know? Like this is where I kind of find myself often. But leadership, that's one of those places where you find yourself, maybe you're in a group and you're in a study group in school and people just look, look to you to start leading the, the group, you know? This is that kind of sort of natural compulsion that we have. And these motivational gifts are things that come into our careers, that could come into all sorts of different places. You could lead, you know, in your career. You could be very generous. This is a gift that people have. These are things that we operate in for motivational gifts. Let's go to the third place, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So this is what we would call the fivefold ministry or the ministering gifts. We're gonna start reading in verse 11. It says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up of the body of Christ. We're gonna read the rest of that in just a minute because it's beautiful. It's casting vision for what it looks like when we let all the gifts have room. But these, what we would call the five-fold ministry, these are like actually the offices that you hold. Each one of us is called to one of these. We are called to one of these in our life with Jesus. The apostles, they're the visionaries for a new work in the kingdom. They are sent out. Literally, the word means the sent ones. They are sent out to multiply. Paul is a great example of this. Paul, you know, like he goes into city, meets with a few believers. He's like, you accept Jesus, awesome. I'll teach you for a little bit and then I'm gonna leave and I'll put some people in charge and I'll write you a letter later. You know, like Paul is like, I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep building. Apostles have energy to build. A lot of times they're extroverted and they're like meeting people, connecting people, love to like meet with leaders and speak to leaders. This is an apostolic ministry that is operating in your heart, if this is you. Prophets. Prophets operate in discernment of what God is saying and is unafraid to correct. So oftentimes, prophets are introverted. They dive deep into the things of God. They have a lot of thoughts. 
And a lot of times it comes out kind of messy or sometimes it actually rubs people the wrong way. This is the prophet. I really, I, I really believe I primarily operate out of this. And so if you've heard me give sermons and you're like, ouch, Ryan, I'm like, I'm so sorry. That really is, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, I really like to call out the things that I see. And that's that kind of prophetic voice that's really necessary in the kingdom. You have the evangelists. Oh, wait, I want to go back to this. Hold on one second. So the, a really great example in the New Testament is the prophetess Anna. And I love this story. Anna is this prophetess, and it says that she had spent her life praying in the synagogue, that she was a woman who often fasted and prayed. She seeked the Lord. It doesn't say that she was really important, didn't say that she gave great sermons, didn't say that she met everybody in the hospital. It said that she devoted herself to listening to the Lord. And then when Jesus showed up, Anna goes, this is the moment I was waiting for. I've been praying my whole life for this moment. This is the heart of a prophet. This is the heart of the prophet that could be an introvert, maybe sits alone, gets some revelation from the Lord. And as they grow and mature in their gifting, they are so important for us to hear what the word of the Lord is saying for the times that we're in now. It's the prophet. Evangelists. They have an unstoppable bent toward telling people about Jesus. In Acts 21, they talk about Philip. They say Philip was an, was an evangelist. And evangelists, they don't want to necessarily dive deep into the spiritual things, but they want to tell everybody the gospel. They're like, hey, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? Have we preached the gospel in a while? Why is my church preaching the gospel more? Like, have you preached the gospel? Like, this is everything for the evangelists. It just comes out of them. And they tell people about Jesus, and they have the fruit of people coming to know Jesus when they do it. This is the work of the evangelist. Pastors or shepherds, you pastors and shepherds in this room, you love people, and you care for them deeply. Like, you can't help but do that. When somebody's in distress, you're like, I gotta be by their side. When somebody's hurting, you're like, I gotta be there. Sometimes at the expense of yourself. Those are boundaries you need to draw. But you love people. Peter, in 1 Peter, when he's talking about it, he's, he is deeply a pastor. And you could hear him. He's like, please, in 1 Peter uh, 5, he's like, please shepherd the, the, the flock. Shepherd the people. Lead them. Guide them. His voice is deeply pastoral to the leaders that he's writing to. And then we have the teachers. Teachers are gifted in studying and communicating deep biblical truths. Oftentimes, you have the evangelist that preached the gospel. Then they need to go to the teacher who's going to teach them the deeper parts of following Jesus. Some of you are like, I don't find myself telling people about Jesus, but I meet with people that are already saved, and I like disciple them. Is that okay? And it's like, yes, that's fine. Like, we need to make space for the differences in each other. We have to. And this is what's so funny, like, as you look at these different gifts, and we've talked about it a lot, you know, if you're a preacher, and you could preach out of any one of these cores, like, preaching is different than teaching, you could preach out of one of these cores. So, for me, like, the prophetic core, I'm like, what is the Lord saying now? Like, this morning, I'm like, I have to give two sermons, I have to talk about Israel, because I just can't not do it, like, I have to do it. And for the prophet, you're like, we just need to hear from the Lord. That's all we need in the room. We don't need anything else. We just need a word from the Lord. And you go, amen, that sounds great. 
until the shepherds walk in the room and they go, you know what we need? We need to care for each other. If we're not caring for each other, what are we doing? We're wasting our time for not taking care of one another. Then the evangelist comes in and goes, if we're not preaching the gospel, we are wasting our time. Like, what are we doing if we're not preaching the gospel? And I think a lot of us, maybe in our immaturity sometimes, we think that our perspective is the only perspective. So we come to the table and go, I'm an evangelist, so everybody needs to be. Or I'm a shepherd, so everybody needs to be. Or I'm a teacher, so everybody needs to be. But the image we get in the New Testament is people that make space for each other's giftings. And they work together. And they mutually submit to one another. And they love one another. And they champion each other. And they go, oh, he's a teacher. You should go talk to him. Like I will say all day long, Alex Seekins is a teacher. You want to deep dive into the, the Greek words and nerd out? Go talk to Alec. He will talk to you for a long time about it. And he is, like, he would love it. Like, there are different people that we need to point each other to and go, hey, go to that person. That person's great at this. Because it requires humility, not to think of ourselves too great or to think, oh, I have every spiritual gift. No. Paul's like, does everybody have this gift? No. Does everybody have this gift? No. We are each uniquely gifted. But this is why, and I love this, This is the vision that Paul is giving us for when we work together. He says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not to become famous pastors and get a book deal and all of that. That's that's what we've added onto it. No, it's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry because we all have ministry to do. The times are short. We have a lot to do to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that we're unified together. All attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by the wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes? No. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Our current culture hates that phrase right now. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He's the head. He leads that fivefold ministry. He is the head from whom the whole body, every single one of us in this room, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. We are each equipped for something that we need. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The world needs a strong church, and the church needs strong believers. And for us to do that, we need to grow in our love toward one another. We need to grow in our understanding of the spiritual gifts. We need to grow in our understanding of what we're good at, what we're not good at, what our neighbor's good at, what they're they're not good at. We need each other. We need each other. This is not a thing where you just watch enough YouTube videos by yourself, and you're like, yeah, I'm following Jesus. Great. No, you need each other. We need each other. I need you. This is an incredibly important thing. Now, this morning, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, there's a couple of things I want you to do. Um, First, we've worked, uh, well, (laughs) we didn't work hard. Alex Seekins worked super hard uh, to build a spiritual gifts test at livingstreams.org slash connect. 
Uh, this is our, we, we really love the book, Discover Your God-Given Gifts by Don and Katie Fortune. Uh, there's always new dimensions to learn, but we think it's a really great book, a really great reference. Alex synthesized that entire book into a test for you to take so that you can understand it. It's at livingstreams.org slash connect. So please, please, please go there. I had a few people come up to me like after going, oh, look at this, you know. Um, so please, please uh, do that. Number two, there's an interesting thing in the New Testament when it talks about the laying on of hands. There is something that is imparted to a believer when you lay hands on them. And we're gonna have our prayer team up here. And if you're feeling this morning, I really wanna drive this home, just you and me talking. I don't have a group, but just me and you talking. If you are asking yourself, I don't know what my gifts are, I don't know where I fit, I feel like I'm worthless. I feel like I don't have anything to bring. I want you to hear this. Jesus has something different to say to you today. You are incredibly valuable in the kingdom. You're incredibly valuable in the kingdom. And we need you to be strong. It's not a selfish thing, seeking out the gifts of the spirit. It is for all of us, the edification of the body. So if you are feeling that this morning, come forward to our prayer team. We're gonna... We're gonna have worship. Our prayer team's going to be up here. They would love to pray with you, lay hands on you. If you're in this room and you feel really strong in your spiritual gifts and you're like, yeah, I get it. I've been operating in it, Ryan. This is a refresher course. Actually, I disagree with a couple things you're saying. Fine, fine. Here's my challenge to you. Have spiritual eyes to see the people next to you. And maybe in this time of, of worship, Maybe you take a risk and say, can I pray for you? Can I lay hands on you? Take some time to see each other this morning. I know we're all busy. We got lunch plans. I'm, I'm up here. I'm hungry too. Like, I get it. But let's take some time to really see one another. Let's all stand. Jesus, we're grateful for the person standing on our left and our right. We're grateful for you, Holy Spirit. You've got a good plan for us. We're grateful that, Lord, you've equipped us with everything that we need, every spiritual blessing, it says in Ephesians. We've got everything that we need to live a life that makes a big impact for you. And our world is starving to hear from you. All creation is groaning, Jesus, to hear from you. So, Lord, help us to be a powerful, unified church that brings lots of glory to your name. Show us how we could use our gifts. Reveal them to us. In Jesus' name, amen.